between your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 12. Father, we just want to ask that tonight, God, that you would speak to us through your word, knowing that you will, God. But Lord, we don't want to just come here because it's our habit on Wednesday nights, God. It's a good habit. I'm glad that we are here on Wednesday nights, Lord. But we want to meet with you. Meet with you. We want to touch the hem of your garment like the woman with the issue of blood, God. And when she touched you, she was, she was made whole. She was healed at that very moment because virtue or power went out of you and, and into her. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and empower us, refresh us, God. Revive us, Lord, tonight, God, in Jesus' name. All right, so what we looked at last week, just real quickly, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and I believe, and this is just a real quick review, this is speaking of those in Hebrews chapter 11 that were not only the named ones like Abraham and Sarah and Joshua and Enoch and those named in, in Hebrews chapter 11, but also those where he says, for time would fail me. To, to name all of them. So I think this is a great crowd of witnesses that are compassed about us, that are compassed about the church today, the believers. It's not necessarily they're watching and looking to see how we're doing. It's the fact that they are witnesses. They are a great cloud of witnesses that have testified to the faithfulness of God. If we could speak to Enoch right now and say, Enoch, how was it? How did you find God? He would say, faithful. If you were to talk to any of these men and women, those that wandered around in sheepskins and goatskin in, in caves and so forth, of whom the world was not worthy, how was the Lord to you? He's faithful. He was so good to me. He never left me. And so this is a great cloud of witnesses. We have men and women that have walked this road before and have done well. They've kept their eyes on Jesus. And he says, wherefore, seeing this, let us do two things. Let us lay aside every weight that's just simply a burden. It's not necessarily a sin, okay? Let us lay aside every weight. It's anything that hinders you from walking sold out to God. That anything that hinders you from walking successfully, successfully with the Lord, anything that slows you down, drags you down. I know some of the, uh, now this is, I, I did play sports before this, but uh, I know some of the training, like the football team and different things, I'll actually have the guys run and like drag a tire behind them with a chain or something. And they have them run and a parachute opens up, you know, and they have to try to drag it down the football field. But it, it would be anything like that that's hindering our walk with God. And it says, so every weight, lay it aside. That means that's something we can do, Right. It's not saying we go beg the Lord to do it for us. Of course, we need his strength to do everything or anything. But we, know, we understand that. But he's telling us, you lay aside every weight and the sin. Sin is sin. We understand that very clearly. Which does so easily beset you. That means entangle you or ensnare you. Okay, so the thought there, the, the word picture there is that it would be an enemy that would try to trip you up. You know, you get up in the, in the middle of the night to go get a glass of water or something, and somebody said something, you know, move the chair where it's not supposed to be because they wanted to trip you up. Or you're running a race, and they're a little bit ahead of you around the corner or something, and they, they stretch a rope out across the road. They're trying to trip you up. Well, sin does that to us. Sin does it. It's sin that easily ensnares us or entangles us, and we get all caught up in it. Okay, so there's the weights, 
which could or may or may not be sin. They're just hindersome, or things that hinder us. And then there are sins that easily ensnare or entangle us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. God sets the race before us. It's the race of, that God has given us. It's the race, it's your, your walk with God. And it's not a sprint, it's an endurance race. It's a marathon. A lot of people came here tonight tired. I don't know why, but I'm tired. I don't know if it's all the dreary weather we've been having the last few days or what. But we come tired, and yet we're here. Because we know this is a, a long haul kind of thing. We're in it for the long haul. You live for God and with God moment by moment. Okay? Heartbeat to heartbeat. Breath to breath. We're living with God. But the, but it's it's paced out at a at a, a endurance race pace, you know, like a marathon as opposed to a sprint where you don't live your whole Christian life in five days and it's over with. Whew, I sure did good with that. Glad that's over. We walk with God all the days of our life. And then he says, looking, this is how we run the race, with patience, looking unto Jesus. It's a look of faith. And this is what, one of the, the themes of Hebrews is faith, all right? Uh, the the whole point about it, it's a faith, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So this is the type of look. We go to God's Word. We read the promises of God, and we appropriate them rightly. In other words, I don't take some promise that's just for Israel that's already passed and appropriate it for myself. But the Word of God, rightly divided, I take those promises, I lay hold on them by faith, those promises, and I walk this thing out. No matter what I see going on around me, by faith I see the promise. And by faith we're going to obtain the promise. The Bible says that Sarah uh, received strength to, strength to conceive and brought forth a child because she judged him faithful who had promised. She put her faith in the promise of God and the one who gave the promise and judged him faithful. Period. Amen. And then she received the, uh, the promise, which was Isaac. Uh, so we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, now it's shifting and, and basically talking about our Lord for just a minute. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, this is what He did for us. He endured the cross, so there was endurance on His part, everything leading up to the cross and the cross itself. He despised the shame of the cross. Because the Bible says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was common criminals that died on the cross. Okay? He despised the shame of it and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God because he endured it, he's exalted now. We've talked about that before. The, the uh, humility comes, then the exaltation. The labor comes and the travail and the race and the endurance and so forth comes and then the rest. That's how it is. So we're not, uh, there's a rest and a peace that we have in Jesus but it's not the final rest we're going to have. We'll talk about that more later in this chapter. All right, now we're going to move on. This, uh, that's what we talked about pretty much last week. But in verse 3, it says to consider. That means to understand, understand, to perceive, to discern, to regard. So I need to really take some time, is, is the thought here. Set my mind upon the Lord. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. Nobody ever endured the uh, opposition of sinners against himself like the Lord. I mean, we do too because we belong to him. And if the world hated our, him and despised him and rejected him, we're his servants, he says we're going to be treated the same way. But 
nobody ever endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. It says we're to consider that. Be mindful of that. Regard that. So when you're going uh, through life, and it's hard specifically because you're a Christian, because now so-and-so doesn't talk to you anymore, and now whatever it may be, whatever comes because specifically because you're a Christian, that you're, you belong to the Lord and you live it, you walk it out. There are consequences for that, okay? And it's part of the deal. It's part of the walk with God. And we're not to despise that because we're looking unto Jesus and He's worth it. And he, he encourages us and He strengthens us and He's altogether lovely. And we lift up our eyes off of the, the here and now. We, we get that gaze up there and we see the Lord. And so uh, we are to consider the Lord in this. Consider Him to understand what's going on. Jesus suffered uh, for sinners, and he also suffered at the hand of sinners, right? He suffered for sinners, that's us, and the people that were nailed him to the cross and spitting upon him. He suffered for them, and he suffered at the hands of sinners. So he endured all this, and it says, lest you become weary, the end of that verse 3, and faint in your minds. Have any of you ever in here become weary? I'm not talking about tired because you're working on your house or in your yard. We have that kind of fatigue. Have you ever become weary to the point where you have fainted in your mind? In other words, I don't know that I can keep doing this. I have before. Thank the Lord He comes along and, and by His Holy Spirit He's able to revive us. You know, it's like finding somebody almost gasping their last breath on the side of the road and you give them CPR and you know a few minutes later a few hours later they're back and they're like in full strength again mm -hmm. the Lord finds us that way at some times you might be that at that moment right now there might be things in your life that are so overwhelming at this moment in your life that you wonder if you're going to make it it says lest you be weary lest you be weary and faint in your minds. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 that we're going to reap in due time if we faint not. Right? There's, that's a promise of God. That's not some little you know, theological statement or something you stick on your refrigerator. That's the promise of God. His Bible says, don't become weary in well-doing, for we will reap the harvest in due time if we faint not. The Lord knows when that time is and however long I need to labor in the field, so to speak, until I reap the harvest, God will sustain me as long as that is. If it's one more day or if it's 75 more years, He will sustain me till, till the harvest comes. The reaping the full benefits of knowing Jesus that are coming for us. Amen? And so this book to me is very, very, the Bible is very encouraging, but the book of Hebrews is very encouraging. It's always setting something out before you. Always. Always. We're looking ahead. We're looking unto something. We're looking forward to Jesus coming again. We're looking forward. And everything in our walk with Jesus is set before us. Amen? And so the Lord wants to keep us uh, with our eyes upon Him. But let's look at verse 4. And it says, For ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin and I would have to say I have not okay we do strive against sin and we ought to strive against sin in other words to me it's like the temptations come what type of effort are you putting against it 
or here's a sin, boom, I just fall into it. You know, I think about it in Proverbs where it talks about the foolish man who's just going the way of the adulterous woman. He's just plodding along, and there she is, and she says a few sweet words, and he just turns in, and the Bible describes him like a dumb ox. He's just boop, 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 boop. He's just walking down the road. Here's a temptation. He just falls right into it. No kind of resistance at all. So we as children of God are empowered to walk in victory over sin and temptation because of what Jesus did. It's not of my own ability. It's of his ability. But I do have that ability because he's given it to me. He broke the power of sin from our lives. I have not yet. Some have. There were people that, and, and the studying I've done, basically they're saying plain and simply, these Hebrew Christians had not yet faced martyrdom in striving against sin. Or maybe the, uh, the temptation to renounce their faith and go back to Judaism. Or renounce their faith to, to get the Romans off their back and escape some persecution from the Romans. We've got a lot of brothers and sisters in times past and in our day today that are shedding blood, you know, to, to continue to walk with the Lord. We have not yet. And I believe that that's all that's speaking about. But I do believe the picture is here. We can rest in Jesus. And yet at the same time, when temptation comes along, what makes it tempting is that we're we might desire it. Okay? It might make our life easier. It might make, bring some momentary pleasure. It might uh, make us look better in the eyes of people and you know, spend something a certain way where we look better to go ahead and commit the sin. And yet, the, the Bible says that's, that's foolish. The wages of sin is death. Okay? There's nothing good going to come out of it. Nothing. Zero. We already know that. Zero. With the moment that it's there, though, we need to put up some resistance in the Lord. Okay? And, and that's all another sermon for all another day. But if, if uh, I remember right after the flood, a few days after the flood, we had some tools and stuff covered out here on the back porch. And a workman had been working on our floors. He came back to pick up his tools. And he pulls this blue uh, tarp, because I covered his tools for him. Pulls it off the back porch. And our whole house was surrounded by water. I know y'all know that it didn't get in, but it's about that far from getting in. So our porches and everything. So this is about a good week later, maybe. He comes back to get his tools and pulls the tarp off and a water moxin strikes at his... I'm glad he had boots on, blue jeans and boots, and it hit, it hit the, uh, his leg and didn't, didn't, didn't penetrate that. And he hollered, of course. He was scared, and we, we both went out there and we, he ended up killing the snake. Because sin is, sin is like that. It wants to bite you. And sometimes it pops up when your head's just sort of the clouds and you're in a normal plane or plateau of your mindset. And all of a sudden, bing! And you didn't expect it, you didn't plan it, and you weren't uh, plotting your sin, how you could go off to it. It just was there. And we need to, to be strong in the Lord. I believe there's a, a need to be prayed up to be walking with the Lord, to be heavenly minded, to pray without ceasing. To me, that's just a staying in communion with the Lord. And the Lord protected a man. I'm glad that he did. But uh, what we wouldn't do at a moment like that, and I was using the snake for an example. I knew there was a point to this. Um, <laughs> that I wouldn't get that snake and just sort of stare it down and get down there close and sort of poke it around. Now, I used to do that as a kid, but I still kept it at a, a safe distance, all right? 
you understand my point. If that thing is dangerous to me and wants to hurt me, then I need to kill it, flee it. Well, it says flee, right? Put it away. Get away from it. Whatever, uh, whatever measures you and I have to take to not sin, that's the measures you and I need to take to not sin. If we'll call on God, He'll show us the way of escape. I'm not smarter than the devil, but Christ in me is smarter than the devil. I'm not stronger than the devil or his temptations, but Christ in me is stronger than the temptations that Satan wants to put in my life. Okay? And so, you don't sit there, and I wouldn't look at a cobra in the face and say, look, that's cute. Look, look at that, how, how that looks. I know it's dangerous, and I want to get away from it. All right? And, and kill it or leave it. One of the two. And when we fool around with it, and not put up any type of resistance, that's when you're going to get bit. It's going to happen, all right? And so that's what the, the Scripture's talking about, resisting. And then let's keep reading. And ye have forgotten. This is really our theme for tonight, or the, I guess the passage that we're going to focus on tonight is going to be this thought right here. So let's read verses 5 and 6. And ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receiveth. Is that not a wonderful truth? Is that not a true truth that we need to know from God's word, an important truth that we need to understand and latch on to? Uh, He says, you've forgotten You've forgotten this exhortation. And then he goes back. Remember, we started the whole book. These these people were being uh, going through great trials. They were going through great adversity. They were going through great difficulty. And a lot of it was specifically because they said, I do to the Lord. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I surrender to Him. Come be my Savior. I want to serve God. And they gave their lives to Jesus and problems arose. It didn't surprise God. It shouldn't surprise us either. But he said, you've forgotten something that's very important. And I want you to keep your spot there. And we know the scripture, but turn back to Proverbs chapter 3. This is where this comes from. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, Solomon writes, despise not thou, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects even as a father, the son, in whom he delights. So, the, the picture that's given here, y'all, and this is what we're going to spend our time on tonight, is a picture of, we get these three words together, we get son, okay, or children, we have a father, and we have love. Son, or a child, okay, and a father. A father loves the son. And then we have this word chastening in the middle of it. And we, see, we would think in a natural sense that one doesn't belong. You're talking about a father, son, and love. Father loves the son. And our earthly parents love us. And we would think chastening just doesn't seem to, to go with the rest of that. But that's what he's trying to teach us by this. And you can turn back to Hebrews. He says, it's God speaking unto us as unto children. And the Lord does this with those in whom his soul delights, that he delights in. He delights in. And think about it. 
is the Lord going to take time to, to lovingly correct his enemy? Someone that's just rejected him, he knows is going to reject him, blaspheming him. He loves him. He, Christ died for him. I understand that. If you're repentant, he could be saved. But the Lord knows in his heart that he's going to stay in that way. He's not going to take the time to lovingly chasten or correct or train or teach. But, but the Lord does that with us. He's going to show him his need for Christ as much as he can. But uh, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourgeth every son whom he receives. And so they had forgotten this important exhortation. Chastening is just like a training or, or a tutor that's tutoring someone. That's what it is. And the motivation in God's chastening, it's very important that we understand this. His, his motivation is not revenge. He's not trying to get even. When Jenny sins against him and does something wrong and the Lord wants to correct her, he's doing it out of love to make her stronger in him to get this out of her life because that sin is going to be a snare to her. That sin is going to affect her life and it could lead to other sins and other sins and before you know it, she's far away from God. And so he does it not to get revenge and it's not merely a punishment of wrong. You did this, so I'll do this. Equal punishment for equal depth of your sin or the bigness of your sin. Although he does mete out punishment, he's never as much as we deserve, is he? He's never as much as we deserve. His, his motivation and his chastening, and that's the word the Bible uses, is a proof of his love for us. It is for our good. This whole passage is going to talk about it. Not merely a punishment for wrong, but out of love and a genuine desire for their best. And if we, and I can relate to this, I'm far from the perfect parent, but uh, like I know that you are as well, but we can say we love our children. Amen. And you can think about your parents, maybe you had wonderful parents, maybe you didn't, but you know you love your children. And so your desire when they do something wrong and punishing them, I'm going to take this away from you, right? A child does something wrong, so therefore, I'm going to take this away from you. It's not just they did five things wrong. I'll take five things away from them. Eat tit for tat. There's, there's a purpose behind it. There's a reason behind it. I love you. And I might spank you pretty hard if need be. But I love you. And I'm doing this because it's going to spare you from something if you'll receive it. Amen. It's going to spare you from something far worse down the road. Would you not agree? That's a pretty good... Uh, uh, you know, summing it up kind of thing. It's just for your good. I have no pleasure in it. I've never enjoyed spanking my children. I mean, my wrestle and fight, that's a different story. But I've never enjoyed spanking my children. I've never enjoyed taking something from them or putting them in their room and you're going to stay in here for a while or whatever it may be. There's not any real joy in it, but it's greatly needed, isn't it? It's greatly needed and you're doing it, and I'm doing it, and we have to relate that to the Lord. He's doing it in our lives for, for our benefit, for our good. 
And so he's doing it, and it brings about a discipline in our lives when the Lord does it, right? We're not, the day we get saved, we're not this, this full-blown, mature Christian that we're going to be. It's a progress. It's a walk. We're being uh, molded into his image day by day, but he does that through life, through prayer, through reading the Bible, through life, of people rubbing you the wrong way, letting you get sick, watching you get healed, letting you lose your job, and then giving you, you know what I mean? He lets us go through these things and allows us to do it and, and when we sin, there might be a chastening. Maybe we're humiliated. You know, we were the Sunday school teacher. Nobody thought we were so one of them. We did something real ungodly. Even our attitude. And the, and the Lord's going to rebuke us. And He's going to correct us. But it's always for our good. Okay? It's always for our good. And so God was allowing these Christians to go through hardships. And He says, don't despise it. The Bible says, Blessed is the man whom thou chasteneth, David says, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Blessed is the man. The world would say, see, but, you know, spanking one of his children or correcting one of his children very sternly. The world would think, oh, he doesn't love his children. Look how cruel he is or whatever. It's just the opposite, though. It's just the opposite. It would be much easier for a parent to just... Wouldn't it be easier to never correct and not keep an eye on, to let them go, oh, whatever, and and then you grow up and you're going to reap that one day, and they're going to reap that one day, okay? It's much harder. It's not easy. And so um, the Bible says, blessed is the man whom thou chasten. And there's another scripture in Revelation 3, you don't have to turn there, when the Lord's dealing with the different churches and the seven churches, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. <coughs> Be zealous, therefore, and repent, is what he tells them. And again, the world would think this is opposite of that. The world would think God doesn't love them. You know, uh, somebody gets cancer, a young person gets cancer, and the world's watching that and saying, they're always talking about Jesus, and they got cancer. Sure doesn't look like God loves them very much. Look how they got cancer. Or they're always talking about Jesus, Jesus, and now all their friends left them because they're they're walking a holy walk with God and keeping their eyes on the Lord, and their friends don't understand it or like it. And even times, a lot of times, people in church don't like it or understand it. And so, God sure must not love them very much. It's total opposite. We have to get our truth from the Word of Truth. And the Lord says, "For as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten." Okay. And um, two things, just real quickly, the world's discipline. I want to contrast God's discipline with His children to the world's. And, and you could probably go a lot deeper than I'm going, but in worldly discipline, it could be uh, one of two things. It could be perverted in one of two ways. It could be too harsh, where somebody's just abusing somebody. The, the parent's a lot bigger and stronger. The child is physically weak and small and so forth. And the, the parent could literally abuse the child, like hurt them. And that's not at all of God. That, that's, it's sinful, okay? So it could be harsh. It could be cruel. They're not patient with their children. They're not loving to their children. They're just, oh, you're going to get what's coming to you, okay? Not of God. It's perverted. We say, well, I'm chasing my child. No, that's not how God would do it. He would do it in love. 
He would sit down and explain to them what's going on. He wouldn't hurt them, hurt them. I mean, it might sting a little bit, but not hurt, hurt them. Break bones and bruising them and so forth. Uh, so the world can pervert it that way. The world could also pervert it the other way, and it would be called being permissive, undisciplined, uh, and it, neither one is of God to where you're just permissive. And if you do that one more time, I'm, I'm grounding you. They do it one more time. You don't. Well, if you do it one more time, I'm grounding. And then you got you're ready to go watch a TV show, and you've totally forgot what you told them you were going to do. You let them get away with it. That's not the way the Lord doesn't do that. He forgives us infinitely amount of times that we sin. We never weeks at it unless it's life. You know, I've talked about that before. Jesus died for that thing. He died for that sin. He'll never just close his eyes and say, it's okay this time. Go ahead. We'll let this one go. Never. The wages of sin is death. What he does is if we'll come to him and say, God, I have sinned, he says, I put away your sin. It's forgiven. It's under the blood of Jesus. Isn't that better? Isn't that better than letting me slide? For me to face up to it, one, first of all, to where I get it and I understand I've sinned against the Holy God, and it puts me back in a right humility and a right relationship with God if I was getting lifted up in myself to, to disobey His laws. And I come and I say, I have sinned, and the Lord says, and I have forgiven you. Go and sin no more, right? That's way better than letting things slide. It's going to make me a better man. It's going to make you a better woman or man or woman of the Lord. And so the world can pervert that, but God does it. God does it in love. He does it in grace. He does it according to His Word. And He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't show partiality. As many as I love, I chasten and rebuke. And I'm very thankful for that because He's not trying to kill me. You might feel like it sometimes, okay? But it's not. Let's keep reading. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastening, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate and not sons. And so, again, it's a sign of sonship. The chastening of the Lord is a sign that we belong to the Lord. It's a sign that uh, He's with us and that He loves us. It's not the sign. Don't let the devil put that in your mind. God must not love me. He let my, me get cancer. He let my cancer come back. And the devil's going to be there. See, He doesn't love you. He would have never let that happen. But He does. He proved that on the cross. There's something better He's wanting to teach you and show you that's going to be worth it. Okay? It's going to be worth it. And so... The end of it, y'all. That's what we have to look at. What is the end of it? Let's keep reading. Furthermore, and I was going to relate this to our earthly parents. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our own flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence or honor. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, that means the Lord, our Heavenly Father, and live? For they verily for a few days, and so it's a temporary, it's temporary, for a few days they chastened us after their pleasure, what they thought was right. But he, for our profit, it's important that we see that, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And so his purpose in it, y'all, is to bring about, he says we're all partakers of it. If we're not, then we don't really belong to the Lord. If somebody's going through life, 
thinking that they're a Christian, or maybe they're, they're a Christian in name only, and they tell people that they're a Christian, and they never, ever, ever have any chastening from the Lord they're dealing with their lives, never, then they don't belong to the Lord. Because it says we're of all our partakers. Everybody is going to partake of the chastening of the Lord if we belong to the Lord. It says if not, then you're illegitimate. You, you say you belong to Him, but you really don't. Okay? You really don't. And so, it's, again, it's the opposite of what the devil would tell us. And it's the opposite of what the world would think. But it's exactly what God's Word says. And so it's different from being mean-spirited. Uh, it's different from punishment that's, like I said, just here's what you deserve for this, pal, and knocking us over. It's, it's a, a corrected measure, like a loving parent loves their children and corrects them. In fact, this is not the wrath of God. If you're punished for a sin in your life, or I'm corrected and punished for a sin in my life, it is not, that is not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is His judgment being poured out upon sin. It is meat. It's, it's measured out. Okay? It's measured out to, to meet the sin, like during the tribulation period. You know, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb who's coming. And that was wrath. He brought judgment upon Babylon and then spiritual Babylon and the Antichrist and those that follow Antichrist and so forth. That's not how he deals with his dear children whom his soul delights in, the scriptures say. The Bible says we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain mercy from the Lord. First, First Thessalonians chapter 5, remember that. That's one way we know, reason we know we're not going through the tribulation period. As believers, to me, we're not, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain mercy. His wrath is going to be poured out in the tribulation period. And so, anyway, so it, it identifies us as belonging to the Lord. And God doesn't want us to, He doesn't want us to become spoiled babies. Have you ever seen a spoiled child? Is it a pretty sight? No, it's not. Okay? You might have been spoiled one time, whatever, God can change that. But it's not a pretty sight. They just get everything they want. A spoiled child. God doesn't want us to be spoiled babies. He wants to bring discipline. He wants to teach us how to be men and women of God. And the Spirit is working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. His good pleasure is to make you more like Jesus. That's how He's glorified. Okay? And to make me more like the Lord. And to make us stronger, to make build up our faith and so forth. So um, we go through it. And so the Lord punishes us or deals with us as children. And I, I was just reading one of the commentaries. It says, uh, we punish our own kids. We may feel like spanking our neighbor's kids, but we can't. Okay? We punish our own kids. We may feel like spanking them, but we can't. But God deals with us as sons. So thinking about we belong to the Lord. I belong to Him. And this is a proof of my sonship. A gardener doesn't prune the weeds, does he? We know a lot about weeds in Louisiana. Okay? We don't prune the weeds. We pluck them or we spray Roundup on them or something. You don't prune them. You don't prune the weeds, but you do prune, prune your plants from time to time. When they get all those wild branches sticking out, and you say, I'm going to try to shape this thing up a little bit. And then it kind of cuts it back, and then it grows back healthy and stronger. And then you prune it back, and it grows back stronger. Uh, that's necessary, right? You don't prune the weeds. 
You prune the plants. And we belong to God. We're not the weeds. We're not the tares. We're the wheat. Okay? And He's dealing with us. We're the part of the fruit tree that's part of, you know, branch in the vine. And we belong to the Lord. And so He's dealing with us in that way. If you will, harden not your hearts. If you will, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. You know what that means? I could despise it. I could absolutely hate it, reject it, try to get out from under it, try to get away from it, and, it, and it's not going to benefit me in that case. I know I say it all the time, but let's just say, for example, I'm a believer, and if I'm in a second grade right now in my spiritual walk, I will not get to the third grade until I let God deal with me the way he wants to right here. So if I'm fighting and bucking against the Lord and what He's wanting to do to my, through my life, He's saying, I want you to give those worldly friends up. You're not going, I still love you, you're my child, if you died, you're going to heaven, but you're not going to grow and mature and get on to where I, the, all the things I have for you in Christ if you don't give those worldly friends up. Why are you fighting me on this? Why are you hanging on to that TV show that takes every other show, takes my name in vain? I want you to put it away still belong to him. He, and that's proof that I do belong to him. He's dealing with me as a son. But he wants to, to I'm not going to graduate. I'm not going to move on and flourish and benefit. I'm not saying I'm going to hell. If I belong to him, he's going to keep dealing with me about it. And I don't want to be the cause of my own stunted growth. I want to grow as fast as God wants me to. I'm going to try to keep up with him and what he's trying to do in my life. And the surest way to do that is to yield to him when he's dealing with something in your life. Okay, and to do it quickly. Don't despise it. Submit to it. Allow the Lord to discipline us and to do this work in our lives. If we endure chastening, the Bible says, be in subjection to the Father of spirits. We learn discipline, okay? And, uh, and the Lord is able to deal with us on that. And y'all, and just in closing tonight, uh, it's really in, in 10 and 11, okay? Verses 10 and 11. For they are early fathers, verily for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, that's our Heavenly Father, for our profit, a perverted parent who's abusing their child is not doing it for the child's profit. They're letting off some steam, and because they're bigger and stronger, they can get away with it, okay? They're not doing it with the right motive, but the Lord's doing it for our profit. There's something beyond it. My behind stings because I just got popped on it. Okay? But that goes away real quickly, and it taught me something I'll never forget. I can remember in my life things that I did that were wrong as a child. Especially as I was a little older as a child. And the punishment that I got for that has still stuck with me. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's there. I remember it. Okay? God is doing it for our profit. Now, now we could all say amen to verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyful. Amen. Huh. No chastening. Even if it's little, go to your room for an hour. Okay? Or you're grounded this weekend. I can remember one. I was doing something and did something to my brother. And... We were close with all the neighborhood kids. Like, that's when we were, you know, you, you played football with all the kids in the neighborhood and stuff like that. Well, four or five families in our neighborhood had been planning a long time this trip to go tubing 
down the river. It was a big deal when I was little to go tubing down the Tick Farr, came to the whole river. And I got grounded and did not get to go on that trip. And I remember standing in the driveway, watching them all drive away, packed up and ready to go. And I'm like, um, I remember those things, okay? None of it for the present seems joyous. But, he says, nevertheless, afterward, 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 it yields the peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness. Not the fruit of sin, okay, but the fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So it's going to produce that fruit. The Lord's going to bring it about. He's going to do, and, and I would just ask, I mean, you don't have no time to share it, but do you know anybody can testify of that and say, God brought me through the ringer and I can remember this time and this time or one time or whatever where the Lord really, it was the Lord. He brought me through it. He allowed me to go through it. But I'm so glad He did. You know, looking back now, I'm glad I didn't just keep bucking against the Lord. I let Him bring me through that and strengthen me. And I learned more about my Savior and His companionship and His friendship and His strength and His comfort and His power going through those things. And I'm going to close by reading three little illustrations from this commentary I was reading. And we'll close with this. The purpose of God's chastening is not punitive, but creative. He chastens those that we may, that we may share His holiness. The fire which is kindled is not a bonfire, blazing heedlessly and unguardedly and consuming precious things. It's a refiner's fire. So what he's allowing us to go through is not a bonfire that just takes our whole life and makes a wreck of it. It's a refiner's fire, and the refiner, that's the Lord, sits by it. And he is firmly and patiently and gently bringing holiness out of carelessness and stability out of our weakness. Okay, he's doing that. All right, here's another man that said, man of God says, Like all men, I love and prefer sunny uplands of experience where health, happiness, and success abound. But I've learned far more about God and life and myself in the darkness of fear and failure than I have ever learned in the sunshine. There are such things as the treasures of darkness. The darkness, thank God, passes. But what one learns in the darkness, one possesses forever. The darkness passes, but what one learns in the darkness, one possesses forever. Those things that overwhelm us and upset our pride do more good than all that which excites and inspires us. The things that, that agitate us are that hard. <coughs> the last one, Spurgeon wrote this. He said, I'm afraid that all the grace I've gotten out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. In other words, it would, all the grace of growth he's gotten would fit on a penny that he's received from his happy and restful times. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the hammer and the anvil, the fire and the file? Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. If we learn anything from tonight and this, this word tonight and this passage of scripture, I believe it's simply that that we would not despise the chastening of the Lord. He wants us to see it rightly. He wants us to see His heart in it. 
He's not a perverted, abusive father. He's not a lax, permissive father. He is a good father. And if we will submit to his working in our lives, he is, it's going to bring forth fruit. I promise you, it's going to bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In who? In them that are exercised thereby. In other words, in my part, I need to resign to it. I need to yield to it. I need to allow it. Instead of fighting God all my life. Well, I want to marry this person anyway. Well, they're not the one I have for you, God says. I'm trying to tell you that. Well, I'm going to marry them. Because I love them. And I'm, uh, I'm going to try to win them to the Lord. And all these things that God's saying, that's not the one I have for you. Why are we fighting against the Lord? Take a step back. You're God. You know better than I do. I yield. And then he'll bring them through that. And then he'll look back one day and they'll say, Thank you, Lord, that you didn't let me go my stubborn way. Thank you, God, for that, right? And we can all say that. And we'll all day once, we'll say that one day. Because there's going to be this fruit of righteousness that comes from our lives. So, Father... We just come before you right now, and I just want to encourage you. I just feel everybody's a little tired tonight and everything. Maybe it's just me, but that we would really uh, take a few minutes, get up and walk around, go to another place, kneel down by your pew, uh, the chair where you're sitting, and ask God to show you. Is there somewhere, Lord, where I'm not yielding to your correction in my life? I'm not yielding to your chastening. If I despise the correction of the Lord, God, it's foolish if we do that. I don't want to do that. But in my humanity, in my flesh, I might have done that. And I might be doing that now. It's a question of lordship, God, that you're the Lord and I'm not. And I want what you want for me. And I know that you're chastening in my life and the life of everyone here. Lord, that you're chasing in our lives is because we are dear children. You said in your word, you, don't, you chasten that, the one in whom you delight in. You delight in us, and you delight in us coming to Jesus, and you delight in us being called by your name, and you delight in being our Savior and our friend and our Lord. And so, Lord, you're doing it out of a kindness. If you said it's for our profit. And Lord, how foolish we would be to not want the profit that you want to give us, the benefit that you want to produce in our lives by your holy correction and chastening. Lord, David said in the Psalms, it was good that, I, that I've been afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And so, Lord, we just know that that's a blessed man that endures the, the trials and the chastening of the Lord. And we yield to you tonight. God, as a church, we've been through trials. And Lord, we yield to our Heavenly Father tonight and to your Lordship in our lives, God. So will you just take a few minutes and get with the Lord, just a few minutes, and let Him search your heart. Can you put your finger on something right now and say, God has been dealing with me about this and I haven't let him thoroughly deal with me about it. You may not even feel like you have the strength to deal with it, but just give it to him and let him deal with it. And Lord, we resign to you. We, we yield to you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are producing something wonderful 
in our lives, a Christ-like character, a Christ-like nature, something that's eternal. The darkness passes, but what we learn in the darkness, we're going to possess forever. We want to learn it, God. We want to learn it from you. We don't submit to anything the devil wants to do in our lives to abuse us or steal, kill, or destroy, but we submit to everything that our Heavenly Father desires to do in our lives. So just take a few minutes to pray tonight.